we have been journeying through for the last 14 weeks through the book of Leviticus with a a sermon series titled Be Holy. And today is the finale of that. We are done after in the next uh, half hour. Next week we go on to something in uh, which, well, frankly, is greater. Uh, that's actually going to be the overarching theme when we start looking at uh, the book of Hebrews. And, and, uh, but you can't understand Hebrews. John MacArthur once said, you can't understand Hebrews until you understand Leviticus. And, uh, and so we are going to uh, really just uh, yeah, finish this off today and go into an amazing journey next week when we start that in the New Testament there. But today we're going to go to Leviticus 27. And that'll be our final chapter today. Well, it is the last chapter of Leviticus, so let's open there now. I'll give you about 90 seconds to get it open. Leviticus 27. This whole series, chapter 1 of Leviticus, this began around the concept of voluntary worship which was being anticipated back then with good reason from the Lord. One of the opening phrases in chapter 1 is, when you come, in the context of sacrifices and acts of devotion at the tent of meeting, the t- with the, uh, what is known as the tabernacle, what eventually became the temple. And I said way back then that it was assumed that the people of God would simply want to be near him because they knew full well who he was. They had a deep revelation that he was their redeeming covenant king. He was their God and there was, he was their king and, and they wanted to be where his presence was. It would be assumed also that this redeemed people would want to take up the agenda of that king and be active agents of that agenda. Not just passive observers, but active agents of that. The New Testament in Romans 12 calls that sort of mindset a life of reasonable worship. Where in response to Jesus, we lay our lives down as living sacrifices. From Leviticus onwards, we learn that worship is clearly way more than what a roster is for. And much, much, much more than what you and I just did after the four chord intros. If you do not have a mechanism for worship outside of what you think, if you don't, if you've relegated the idea of worship in your life to what we do when we sing, then you've sold worship well short. Because our entire life is an expression of worship. It has an active and engaged and even sacrificial expression every day of our believing lives. That's worship. And Leviticus is bookended by voluntary worship. We open with it and we'll see in a moment that it closes with the subject as well, even if it's not clearly apparent at the start. 
We'll get through the whole chapter today, but I just want to look at the first two-thirds of that right now. So if you've got your Bibles open, uh, we will go to verse 1 at this stage and uh, just read this through. If this is plugged in. Is my dongle plugged in? Oh, it worked. Awesome. We had some technical difficulties today, so I'm glad we're on track with that now. Verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites... And say to them, if anyone makes a special vow to dedicate a person to the Lord by giving the equivalent value, set the value of a male between the ages of 20 and 60 at 50 shekels of silver, according to the sanctuary shekel. For a female, set her value at 30 shekels. For a person between the ages of 5 and 20, set the value of a male at 20 shekels and of a female at 10 shekels. For a person between one month and five years, set the value of a male at five shekels of silver and that of a female at three shekels of silver. For a person 60 years old or more, set the value of a male at 15 shekels and of a female at 10. If anyone making the vow is too poor to pay the specified amount, the person being dedicated is to be presented to the priest who will set the value according to what the one making the vow can afford. Wow. If what they vowed is an animal that is acceptable as an offering to the Lord, such an animal given to the Lord becomes holy. They must not exchange it or substitute a good one for a bad one or a bad one for a good one. If they should substitute one animal for another, both it and the substitute become holy. If what they vowed is a ceremonially unclean animal, one that is not acceptable as an offering to the Lord, the animal must be presented to the priest who will judge its quality as good or bad. Whatever value the priest then sets, this is what it will be. If the owner wishes to redeem the animal, a fifth must be added to its value. If anyone dedicates their house as something holy to the Lord, the priest will judge its quality as good or bad. Whether Whatever value the priest then sets, so it will remain. If the one who dedicates their house wishes to redeem it, they must add a fifth to its value and the house will again become theirs. If anyone dedicates to the Lord part of their family land, its value is to be set according to the amount of seed required for it, 50 shekels of silver to an omer of barley seed. If they dedicate a field during the year of Jubilee, the value that has been set remains. But if they dedicate a field after the Jubilee, the priest will determine the value according to the number of years that remain until the next year of Jubilee and its set value will be reduced. Last part. If the one who dedicates the field wishes to redeem it, they must add a fifth to its value and the field will again become theirs. If, however, they do not redeem the field or if they have sold it to anyone else, it can never be redeemed. When the field is released in the Jubilee, it will become holy, like a field devoted to the Lord. It will become priestly property. If anyone dedicates to the Lord a field they have bought, which is not part of their family land, the priest will determine its value up to the year of Jubilee and the owner must pay its value on that day as something holy to the Lord. In the year of Jubilee, the field will revert to the person from whom it was bought, the one whose land it was. Every value is to be set according to the sanctuary shekel. 20 geras to the shekel. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to offer two words that will help us navigate this chapter a little bit. Two words, simply this. Dedicated and Devoted. Dedicated things and devoted things. The first two thirds of the chapter, what we've just read now, speaks into things dedicated. Things dedicated, these are arrangements. 
which are initiated by God, by man towards God. They are vows made to the Lord. They're pledges made in either petition or thanksgiving. An example of this is you might be really, really thankful to the Lord one day. Maybe you have just woken up and something, a blessing has dropped in your lap or something unexpected has come through or maybe the crops were just like outstanding or maybe, maybe the, 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 all your calves gave birth to triplets. Something happened and you would come out of that really, really thankful and out of your response of thankfulness to the Lord, you were going, you know what? The next time I get up to where the, where the tabernacle is, where the tent of meeting is, my next chance to go and worship, God, I'm going to do this over and above that. I'm going to do something to glorify you and to demonstrate my thankfulness to you. It will be a thank you offering. It will be something that you would vow in that moment. You might not do it straight away because of travel or different circumstance, but it's something that in your heart of hearts you have determined to do it in that moment. It could also be one of those times where if we were really honest, you're in over your head. God, if you come through for me, I'm going to do this. <laughs> We've all been there, haven't we? All right, you know, just every now and again, it's like I'm in over my head and it's almost like we revert to bargaining, don't we? It's, you know, God, if you do this, I'll do this, you know? It's, sometimes those vows come about, but Predominantly, this is supposed to be a thankfulness thing. One of the worship songs Israel regularly sung, Psalm 116, includes this lyric, What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness towards me? That's a great question to be asking. And it's a great attitude to have. And God is kind of addressing that in this space here. But whether you were, no matter what it was, whether it was thanksgiving or need, whether it was a carefully considered statement or an under, under in the heat of the moment, moment sort of time, you know how we make vows and sometimes forget completely about them? You know how we go, God, if you get me out of that, and then we get out of that, and then we don't do that. No matter what is said, either the moment or in an attitude of genuine thankfulness, we read here that God actually takes every word seriously. And no matter how it is delivered, there's no case of, oops, I made a mistake. Every vow is to be fulfilled. Every promise you make to God, every promise you state, every vow you make is held to account here. In the case of Leviticus, Israel were agents of the agenda of their God and their redeeming king. When they wanted to show what God was like, it actually needed to reflect in their behaviour, not just their words. They lived, they demonstrated the values of their king, not just announced it. That's what our mission is as believers too. And the one they were like, the one they claimed allegiance with, was 100% faithful to all that he said and promised. Therefore, Israel's vows needed to be equally faithful. 
if you want to tell the world that all of God's promises are yes and amen, then our conduct needs to reflect that also. As the Old Testament played out, we see both noble vows as well as those that went horribly wrong. Hannah's prayer, one of those examples of things that just went right. She's in the sanctuary, she's, she's, she's praying, she's, you know, and she's earnestly seeking God because she hadn't had a child, she wanted to conceive, and sure enough, she does. She has the child, and, and, but her prayer was this, God, if you will give me a child, I will dedicate him to the service of the Lord. The child came. The barrenness was lifted in her life. The child was given as promised. That child became the prophet Samuel. One of the more pear-shaped ones is in Judges 11. A bit of an outcast guy named Jephthah. He's pretty ambitious. He's been sort of cast out because, well, frankly, he's, his mother was a woman of ill repute. And he kind of wore that reproach as well. And, and, and he was sort of an outcast of his community. And, and, and then one day he's given the opportunity to take the lead. And he's in the heat of battle. He's a warrior. And he makes what I can only think of as a foxhole promise. Arrows are flying everywhere and he's gone, God, if you get me through this battle, I will sacrifice whatever comes out my front door when I get home safely. And it wasn't an animal that came out the door. It was his daughter. I looked into that a fair bit. I do not believe that his daughter was, was sacrificed. But the passage does highlight just how serious vows are before God. It also highlights how utterly dumb we can be in picking our words in those times. Solomon would later say this in Ecclesiastes. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. Good advice. God is in heaven, you are on earth, so let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many cares and many words mark the speech of a fool. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin and do not protest to the temple messenger. My vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. We fast forward from there. Jesus, the one who was greater than Solomon. Matthew 5 said, don't make such vows. Instead, live by the principle of your yes meaning yes and your no meaning no. This chapter in Leviticus actually captures that sentiment a bit. Jesus was on to something. Funny that. 
Worship God freely. Make generous offerings to Him in worship. When your acts of worship involve the making of a vow in dedication, then you need to weigh that up as carefully and as cautiously as you can. Do not throw empty words into the sky in front of a holy and righteous, perfect God. Our vows were too sacred to be reduced to a bargaining game with God. To do that means we leave the arena of worship and become superstitious instead. Neither is it a plaything where you can impress your neighbours with pious promises you can't or won't keep. Sometimes these acts of promises were done publicly. Sometimes they were done to manipulate the system if you get into the Pharisees' days. But instead, vows before God are to come from a heart of true worship and they must be realistic and measured. And if Israel did this unwisely or with poor motives, there would be a cost that they clearly didn't count here. That's what all that shekel values are all about. A shekel is considered by some scholars today to be about a month's wages. Anything promised but withheld, according to the Lord, had a price in shekels. If you didn't deliver, God would actually hold you to account for that. If you stated that publicly and you didn't deliver, people had the right to call you out on it and go, you know what, pay up, son. Anything promised which was simply not practical to give would also have a price in shekels. Samuel was an exception. For the most part, adding more people to the tabernacle roster where the Levites were there and already ready for the task was highly impractical. And actually, this passage allows pretty much, it, it already assumes that this is, if you vow your family members or your kids or a person to the service of the Lord, then you are paying up for that. That is not a hand over your child to their work. It was actually something that you promised to give crazy money to. This passage thinks of it as a rare act. The prices that are laid there, different ages, different gender stuff, The modern guys weighing it up actually do not believe God is being sexist in all this. They're actually one of the most reasonable things I can see is actually their, their value in the labour market is kind of how the shekel sort of reflects that. That, uh, you know, that, are, you know, that are just lifting values and work life and things like that. That's kind of how it's sort of balanced out there. With some exceptions, anything given but wanted back had a price in shekels with interest that will make a modern bank manager salivate. And one of the exceptions were clean animals. It was was very, very hard to take a burnt offering and put it back in your field. Basically, every vow made before God would be held to account. And God's integrity said that there would be a cost 
too frivolous, unwise, unrealistic, emotionally charged and hastily made statements of dedication. The best way to avoid all that was simply be a person of your carefully considered word. We should also bear in mind here that much of these statements wouldn't actually apply to the poorer in their community because they either wouldn't end up owning large portions of land or they wouldn't have the cattle to offer in that sort of way. The only way they could really mess up is going, you know what, I'm going to pledge my son, daughter, other adult in my house to the Lord. And that's clearly being told here, don't do that. But it does say that every demographic is given the warning that your promises and your dedications, especially in a setting of worship and prayer, will be remembered by God and held to high account. So when we interact with the Lord and we dedicate things, we better mean dedicated. When we offer promises to God, whether the heat of the moment, God, you, if you come through, I will. You better. God takes our words seriously. Why? Because he takes his own word seriously. Let's keep reading. Verse 26. No one, however, may dedicate the firstborn of an animal, since the firstborn already belongs to the Lord, whether an ox or a sheep, it is the Lord's. It is one of the uncle- if, one, if it is one of the unclean animals, it may be brought back at its set value, among adding a fifth to the value of it. If it is not redeemed, it is to be sold at its set value. But nothing that a person owns and devotes to the Lord, whether a human being or an animal or family lands, may be sold or redeemed. Everything is devoted is most holy to the Lord. No person devoted to destruction may be ransomed. They are to be put to death. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain or from the soil or the fruit of it from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Whoever would redeem any of their tithe must add a fifth to the value of it. Every tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. No one may pick out the good from the bad or make any substitution. If anyone does make a substitution, both the animal and its substitute become holy and cannot be redeemed. These are the commandments the Lord gave Moses at Mount Sinai for the Israelites. At this point, we shift from dedicated things to devoted things. If you came to our place for lunch, as many of you have, if you came and sort of, we were doing a bit of a tour of the property we've got and what work we're doing on it and having to take you into my gym and one day you're going, you know, you're in there and I've turned my back and you go, you walk around there and you've taken one of my kettlebells. Tried to drag that without being noticed. And somehow smuggle it out of my house and then for my birthday, a couple of months later, well, August 14, just acknowledging on Facebook, anyway, <laughs> we have this thing going, Jen and I, we, she gets more greetings than I do for my birthday, it's quite funny. But anyway, <laughs> we, if you came on August 14 with a package and go, Cam, I got you a gift, drop it on my lap, I wrap it, I unwrap it quite like 
thankfully. And I find my kettlebell in there. Did you give me a gift? Or did you give back what you already took from me? Were you simply just returning my property to me, just putting a bow on it? It's not a gift. It's my devoted product you took. God devoted some things that sat in Israel's backyard. He declared that those things were his all along and were there to be returned to him. And one item could not be dedicated and devoted at the same time because it was already God's, it's not your gift to give. In this passage, we see a clear list of things that God devoted. But we do this bearing in mind that everything on the planet is God's. And the creation mandate tells us that we are nothing more than stewards at all times, no matter what our title deeds say. The firstborn of Israel's clean animals were devoted items. They couldn't take that animal, parade it down the road and make your pilgrimage to the tabernacle telling everyone it was your gift or the fulfilment of a vow. It was already God's. Instead, you were simply taking it back to where it actually belonged. But you also did this in faith that the land you were stewarding would remain productive with God continually providing. But God being honoured first meant the land would be productive at all times. This is also the case with the tithe. A tenth of crops were already God's. Every tenth animal produced in your care was God's already also. You count them off with your staff. You put the tenth aside no matter what the condition was. And if it was a blemished one, if it had a fault in it, if it had a gammy leg or something, so be it. If it was a prime one and you go, man, I really should keep that from my herd, and you tried to play swapsies, God goes, yeah, no, 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 the tenth, one, just ten, that, 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 ten, that, that. And if you swap these, they're both mine. Play it as you find it in faith. The Jews in Malachi got hauled over the coals for that. Playing swapsies all the time and bringing their worst. We would later learn in Numbers that there would be a very practical reason for the tithe. At least a twelfth of the population lived off that provision. And Israel's faith expression and some welfare was facilitated in that as well. Other things were devoted as well, and these came up from time to time. Spoils of war in some cases were devoted, both the people and its produce, no matter what it was. Jericho were the entire thing was dedicated, devoted to God. Not dedicated, wasn't an offering that Joshua goes, let's give this back to God. God said, it's mine. You don't touch it. And people in Israel actually ignored those orders and they became part of that devoted to destruction part of that thing. And it talks about those devoted to destruction can't be redeemed. 
And we see here that God calls all devoted things holy. This is the last time we look at this, the holiness spectrum of Leviticus. All things that are devoted, all the things that God says are his, are his. Israel operated in that unclean space in their day-to-day life and then had to go through ceremony to become clean in order to simply come to God's presence to offer him their sacrifices. But yet what they had in their backyard in the eyes of God was already a cut above that and holy. It was too hot to handle, too dangerous to keep around. It's God's. I'm taking all that chapter in. Now I have to work out how to actually apply it today and give it some thoughts. So I've got three thoughts I want to leave you with you on this today. As we look at this chapter, one that can seemingly feel random, I want to consider a few things in the way we conduct ourselves as believers. First thing I want you to consider is words. If we learn nothing else from the story of Ananias and Sapphira, we see that God is clearly concerned with the quality, the authenticity and the fidelity of our speech, particularly the vows we make to him. And he's concerned as much in the New Testament as he was in Leviticus. Revelation 19.11 shows us that Jesus is given the name Faithful and True. That's how he will be seen in eternity. That is what we anticipate in eternity. Therefore, our life anticipates that. Just as Israel was given the charge to reflect their God in this way, We have been given that charge also. And we are to be in the business of demonstrating that kingdom value in all that we say. Not with elaborate promises and vows, but as Jesus teaches, by simply being people who live by their yeses and noes. So give careful thought to our words and our promises and our vows and how we Approach God with those things. Second, feeds into that. Consider our fresh and nature of our worship. Again, we're bookended by worship here. When we interact with God, do we actively seek to come with thanksgiving? Sometimes I don't always do that. I'll be honest with you. Some days... My interaction with God is little more than a shopping list. My list of demands for the morning. God, I need this, 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 I need this. Can you come through for this? Can you do that? Can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do that? What God longs for is an intimate conversation with us. Time spent not just demanding but reflecting. Considering afresh the things God is doing in us. 
thinking that through and thanking Him for it. Every single day, if you make a list of all the reasons to praise God, you will find some. If you take a, a stock take of your life, of your activity, of the blessings, of the input of your life, the, the, the where your life is at right now, you will always find reason to thank the Lord. It should be good practice to be starting out that way in all that we do. Let's not get into bargaining and superstitious prayers and shopping lists and hasty promises and unmeasured talk. Instead, pause and reflect and be thankful. Our story is this, that the God who came once a year and sat on his throne in a tent to clean the slate annually in Leviticus became a man and dwelt among us. He died fulfilling all the sacrifices that Leviticus merely pointed to in hope. And he rose again. After he ascended to heaven, he sent his spirit to take up residence in a whole new tent. The scriptures say that that tent is you, and it is us. You are God's dwelling place and we are God's dwelling place. That deserves thanksgiving. That deserves intimate interaction. It deserves a constant posture of sitting at Jesus' feet. A constant posture of giving undivided attention. It deserves a constant seeking out of his agenda and outlook seeking to live those things out ourselves. And the third, my final thing is this. Be faithful with things dedicated and devoted. This is the part where we ask the words of that psalm. What can I return to the Lord for His faithfulness towards me? Perhaps another extra question. What should... I bring? What should I do? What should I return? In the Old Testament, the firstborn animals, some first, some, uh, some first things of the field, every tenth after, was devoted. It was holy goods. It was too hot to handle for mere men. It was God's. There's loads a theological thought out there about the pros and cons of a tithe for modern believers. and We don't see it prescribed in the various letters to the Gentile churches. We don't see Jesus shy away from it either. The New Testament definitely endorses the church paying its ministers. And there is definitely a call for the church to have a financial hand in welfare and justice. There also appears to be a sense of weekly purposeful consideration of what that should be given, at least in a financial perspective. I personally believe that we still remain stewards of God's work and creation, not owners. None of what I have is actually mine, but what the Lord has given to me to manage for his glory.
And as a result, I believe there are things in all of our lives that I believe the Lord devotes. Things where God, through conviction, tells us there's no negotiation. Things God put in your life purely and utterly to be returned to Him. If you live by the principle of the tithe, then perhaps that's where your expression is. If that's a thing you clearly don't believe in, something else will be. What are those things in your life? Is there a portion of your time or a part of your finance or some other thing in your life that you know God put there and he made it most holy? Friends, it's not yours to do anything with. It's purely and utterly God's to do what he pleases. And our job with that is to simply return it to him. What is that? And over and above that, part of our assumed worship is that we'll from time to time be in the habit of dedication. A pastor I knew years ago was beginning to be invited to speak at an increasing number of events. It started out one day, someone's going, you know what, I like your story, can you come and share it at my youth group? And it snowballed from there. The guy's reputation got out there and all of a sudden his calendar got awfully full really fast. And he actually told me that he had completely decided that the first year of that, it it looked like his whole year was full, and he said, you know what, whatever these churches pay me because they started to do that, whatever they do to remunerate me for my time there, all of that is going back to God. That first year is completely dedicated. And he did. Next you know, his calendar got full two years in advance. Crazy. What really happened in his life is that the opportunities increased even in that 12 months. It's really hard to make a promise. It's easy to make a promise when there's nothing in your hand. But then God delivers it. God gave him all these opportunities to dedicate, to live out what he dedicated, not what he actually got for himself. And yet he was faithful to that and he continues to be blessed today. We have friends who build homes and have dedicated their regular home as well as their holiday home to the Lord's service. A number of people have been blessed in this. I tried to think through this because they've been married a very long time and they have a great legacy in their church and also their faith heritage. I would say at least more than a thousand people have been blessed by that ministry of their home being dedicated. I know another guy who went into a pretty brave business, left all that he did before and started something fresh. And he saw some great and swift success, which he attributed to the blessing of God. So he dedicated part of his business to God seeking to use it in fields where he could not get an income from it. And also making sure that he had a clientele at all times which was a free service to them. He eyeballed me and said, God gave me this. 
I have to do something to thank him. He was a relatively new believer too. There's many ways we can be thankful and out of that offer back to the Lord things and dedication. So as we leave here today, would you take a time to reflect on those three things? Leviticus opens in voluntary worship and we close with voluntary worship. Would you take a stock take of your life? Assess where things are at in you. The fidelity, the faithfulness of your words, your vows, your promises. The nature of our worship and the attitude of thanksgiving. And perhaps a reminder that there are devoted and dedicated things. What are we doing with those things? Are we being faithful? We'll stop there. We'll reflect. And we'll worship the Lord with one last song in a moment. Let's bow in prayer.